0: Hello, and welcome to Greetings from Brussels for the 12th episode of our Global Tech Swamp podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and I'm joined by Morgane and Anna from our EU team. Hi, Anna.
1: Hello.
0: Hello, and hi, Morgane. Hello. Hi. So, in this episode, we're sitting down with Brigitte Morleon, policy officer in the e health and aging unit of the European Commission. We're going to discuss the role mobile apps play in the digital transformation of healthcare in the EU and discuss mHealth initiatives that are ongoing at the European level. We're also covering the creation of European health data spaces, new standards for wellness and health mobile apps, and the newly proposed digital green certificate, also known as vaccine passports, and how health apps can help in the process. But before we dive into today's topic, we're covering tech history and the top tech headlines in Europe.
1: This month's tech history is all about the 1950 pilot ACE, ACE which stands for Automatic Computing Engine, which is one of the first computers to be built in the United Kingdom. It was completed at the England's National Physical Laboratory, in short, NPL. It was one of the earliest general purpose stored program computers and a preliminary version of the full ACE, which was designed by Alan Turing, who left the NPL before the Construction was completed partially due to the lack of progress on the ACE. The pilot ACE had been designed purely as an experimental machine to demonstrate the competence of the team as computer engineers. The machine was so successful that a commercial version of it, named Juice, was constructed and sold by the English Electric Company. Pilot ACE was shut down also in May 1955 and was given to the Science Museum where it remains today. And that's all for tech history.
0: And now it's time for Brussels Bites. Anna and Morgan, what are the latest tech policy headlines out of the EU?
2: In big app store news, the European Commission recently sent a statement of objections to Apple concerning the rules for music streaming providers. These statements are the first formal step in commission investigations into suspected violations of EU antitrust rules. Following the initial complaint from Spotify back in 2019, the EU took issue with two of Apple's guidelines for its App Store. The first concern is related to the mandatory use of Apple's in-app purchasing system. The second concern is related to advertisement and purchasing options, which currently do not allow Apple developers to inform users of other purchasing options outside of the App Store platform. And these two concerns combined is what the EU considers harmful and a breach of competition rules. While ensuring that the app market remains competitive is crucial for all players, we hope that the dispute between these two global brands will not end up undermining the quality, security, and user experience app stores provide to small businesses. Software platforms make it possible for thousands of developers to leverage the confidence consumers have in app stores and reach millions of customers worldwide. We are following these developments and will keep you
1: posted on how the EU investigation proceeds. This month the European Commission also launched a significant piece of legislation around artificial intelligence, the first initiative of its kind in the EU. Because the regulators in the EU want to be at the forefront of the global debate around AI, this legislation is intended to be future-proof and sufficiently flexible to cover any changes in AI in the future. The rules will take a risk-based approach to govern the purposes of that AI can be used for rather than regulating the technology itself. AI systems operating in high-risk areas such as um, national infrastructure, education, employment, finance and law enforcement is expected to have a more stringent set of obligations such as appropriate human oversight measures to minimize the risk or logging uh, of activities to ensure traceability of results. Not all use of AI will be permitted for use. This includes systems or applications that manipulate human behaviour to circumvent users' free will, including subliminal techniques. The public consultation process for this um, regulation, or to comment on the regulation, is ongoing, and we will continue to work with the and we will continue to work with policymakers while the EU institutions debate this proposal.
2: Speaking of European initiatives, on May 3rd, the Commission opened a further public consultation on European health data spaces. The survey aims to get feedback from a wide range of stakeholders, such as public health authorities, data protection authorities, but also from mobile app developers regarding their experiences with the collection, access, use, and reuse of health data. The consultation is open until the 26th of July, with the goal of adopting European health data space rules at the end of 2021. The App Association will provide feedback to the Commission, so if you have any thoughts you would like to share with us, please don't hesitate to reach out. Stay tuned as we'll talk more about this initiative in our policy discussion. And for our policy discussion today, we are joined by Birgit Morlion, policy officer in the eHealth and aging unit of the European Commission, to talk about the digital transformation of healthcare in the EU and the role mobile solutions play. Welcome to the TechSwamp podcast, Birgit. It's great to have you here.
3: Thank you, great being here.
1: So um, Birgit, what a time to talk about M Health, right? Um, So during the COVID, well, the ongoing COVID, 19 pandemic, we've witnessed the importance of digital solutions to really provide adequate and efficient care to Europeans uh, firsthand. And these solutions range from mHealth apps um, that allow you, for example, to stay in touch with your doctor, to tracking the pandemic with contact tracing apps. And many of our members um, are active in the health sector, including companies like, for example, Sindel Health in Belgium. I don't know if you know them, but they developed an app to really help with the prevention and the support of um, costly, uh, costly chronic diseases or another Belgium platform actually, Admin 7, um, which has created a platform to help patients, um, professionals and researchers um, better gather and manage uh, health data. So, of course, all of this uh, increased use of technology can raise certain challenges and uh, more and more data, and in this case, often sensitive, personal data is exchanged online, and we need to provide safe spaces uh, for this data to be processed. And also, while health policies are a prerogative of member states uh, in the EU, and therefore creating a pan-European approach to digital health, um, can can sometimes be tricky. So, given these complexities, uh, Birgit, maybe you can highlight uh, what you, um, from the commission perspective, what you identify as some of the main challenges uh, we face today in the European Union in terms of the deployment of e slash m health solutions.
3: Yeah, indeed. I think uh, one of the positive elements of this, this crisis we're going all through is that uh, eventually the genius is out of the bottle, and, and <laughs> we see that digital health is indeed, uh, or m health is, is getting integrated into our daily lives and into uh, our healthcare delivery processes. And that is uh, the biggest challenge that I see. That I see for the moment is integrating the mHealth solutions in the healthcare delivery process, and moving from the technological perspective that we had over the past years to delivering the services, th- the services that encompass this te- digital technology, because mHealth is is linking citizens and patients, connecting them to the healthcare system. And also empowering the citizens and giving them an active role in the management of their health and well-being, and and you mentioned already several examples uh, of that, But, but to make it really to really increase the uptake and the deployment of mHealth Solutions I think we can we have to cut the elephant in pieces like I always say and we, we face several sub challenges uh, one is is the, the quality and and the trust we have in these m health apps and that is often linked to to transparency and to questions like uh, that we as a citizen or a patient would ask is what, what happens with my data who is handling my data and where is my data stored. Mm. And then on the other hand, there is also the evidence generation. eh? You develop the app, you have an algorithm underneath, but is is this app actually proving to to deliver clinical benefits and are the health outcomes of, of using or including an app in your treatment, are the health outcomes better than without the digital support. And then there is also the, the advocacy and, and education part that is linked to, to digital skills. And, and that's not only for the user or the patient or, or the, the citizen or the patient, but also the healthcare professional is a user of these digital technologies and need to have the, the, the right skills on, on uh, data skills, health literacy, um, digital skills but also policymakers. We have to make them more aware of the opportunities of, of the digital technologies in the health and care field. And now last but not least, there is this the, the, the supporting governance um, and, and the business models and and business models is not something that, that uh, we're keen on hearing in in health and care sector though, so it's often replaced by reimbursement models and and getting more clarity on how that is organized in in the different member states uh, in Europe because th- this is not a harmonized approach and that's an uh, the, the, the biggest handicap, I think, in, in Europe is that we don't have a single market for digital health service and products yet. It's, it's, it's not established, but we, we'll, we're striving to, to foresee supporting actions in order to more hor- harmonize it and, and make it more transparent for, for the tech developers.
2: That's really that's a really important point, and I think we're going to come back to it later. Um, but for now, um, it sounds like there's there are just as many opportunities as challenges in mHealth, and I would be interested to hear what some of the current initiatives of the European Commission um, is taking to ensure the digital transformation of healthcare in Europe is successful.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I think we, we can't deny that we are more all... Oh, living more and more in this data-driven society and and economy and and all th- this data-driven approach is also impacting health and care as you already correctly pointed out in the introduction so from commission perspective we're really looking into how what can we do which initiative actions can we take in order to support this digital transformation of health and care and and one of the political priorities of the current Commission is to to make Europe fit for the digital age and empowering people with the new generation technologies that that come up and as part of that we look into how can we harness the potential of data to empower citizens and to build a healthier society and mHealth is is certainly one of the tools uh, to, to achieve that and in this europe fit for a digital age there are several legislative uh, initiatives that that have been taken or that are underway and uh, these are I, I will first stipulate some horizontal legislations that are put forward and that are setting a framework um respecting European values and principles, because we have on the one side, on the other side of the ocean, let's say we have the private uh, sector driven data economy in the US and then uh, east to us uh, in the eastern part of the world, we have more the the government driven data economy. And then in between we have Europe where, where we are in between these two extremes. And um, in November 2020, uh, the Commission proposed uh, the Data Governance Act as part of the data strategy, where um, the Europe wants to boost the development of trustworthy data sharing systems. And one um, aspect of that is the, the s- setting up common European health data. Sp- common European data spaces for different sectors and also the health sector is covered by that. And then more recently, last week, there was the regulation on artificial I- intelligence that was proposed by the commission and this is an internal market legislation uh, for placing artificial intelligence systems on the market and putting them into service but it's not uh, the proposal is not to regulate the technology but is based on a risk high risk use case approach so high risk use cases that are identified will require uh, an ex ante conformity assessment And, as you can imagine, you already mentioned that health is sensitive data, so um, software or apps that qualify as medical devices uh, are considered as these high-risk use cases. So these are proposals, these are regulations that are under discussion, consultation, empowerment, Council. so the legislative proposal is starting. Then we have also uh, the security with the NIS directive that is already out there. And of course, uh, well known by everybody. You have the data data privacy with the well known GDPR uh, that is already in place. So these are the horizontal pieces of work that apply also to the health and care sector. And then you have more specific health specific um, directives or legislation like the medical device directive and the cross-border care directive and then um, as part of the better regulation process we're currently evaluating what is needed to overcome these hurdles that or these, these barriers that we discussed in, in the beginning? Um, what is needed for uh, digital health data and services and more particular than also this uh, European setting up this European health data space, uh, what kind of extra regulation is needed in order to make that happen? <laughs> And there, uh, we're looking into four different aspects for this European health data space is about sharing health data for the primary use, so for healthcare delivery. A second aspect is the access to health data for research and policy making, so what we tend to call secondary use, and that's important for uh, for companies, for app developers that need access to data, to validate qualitative health data in order to train their AI algorithms or to, to validate uh, their, their new algorithms. We also look into this single digital market for digital health service and, pr- and products that we um, already touched upon and what is needed there to make it happen. And then the last aspect is this uh, artificial intelligence, but then specifically f- I- in, in the health and care s- sector are there still gaps to fill. And with respect to this upcoming legislation that we are preparing or investigating if there is a need for additional regulation there, um, there is an open consultation where uh, the people listening to this podcast and the, the developer community can contribute and express their views on um, on the EU laws and policies that are in the making and on the hurdles and um, that that they face or where they see a need for further reg- regulation and this uh, public consultation uh, is open till the end of July 2021 so still some time to reply.
1: That's a very nice overview, and it's great that you mentioned all those um, legislations because um, the association we we answered many of the consultations uh, on the AI legislation and uh, on the on the NIS um, directive, for example. I'll, I'll post all of that in our, the show notes of this episode, and for the upcoming consultation on um, health data spaces, uh, this is definitely something we're going to work on, and we encourage uh, indeed all our members to, to 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 participate to this as well because this is key. Um, but so as you mentioned earlier, one of the challenges in healthcare is that uh, is that healthcare is a competence of the Member States and while health apps and the solutions that they offer are not inherently constrained by borders, uh, the patchwork of health uh, laws across the EU often holds them back. So to come back, this the EU has recently worked on setting standards uh, for health apps, and this is not an easy task as health solutions are very diverse, going from wellness apps to certified medical apps. Can you t- tell us a bit more about uh, this initiative and its goals?
3: Yeah, yeah, indeed. So I. I just talked about regulation and what we tend to call hard law but there is also what we refer to as more soft law where uh, the we, you work more on industry driven principles such as code of conduct code of practices and standardization and that's of course also something commission supports very much if, if, if things can be arranged regulated by soft law initiatives uh, that and we, 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 of course, welcome that, and, and there is no need for hard load there. And in that respect, um, there is indeed, uh, we support work on a standard for mHealth, or we ask the European Standardization Body, SEN, to develop um a, a standard or a health app assessment framework for the quality and the reliability of health apps. Because as you said, there are so many health health apps out there. If you look into the app stores, there are thousands and thousands that are listed as being health app. But as a patient or, or a healthcare professional, it's very difficult to judge the the quality uh, and and the effectiveness of these apps when you look into the app store you don't have any indication on that so that's why um, we're working on this uh, this technical standard that is uh, composed of 82 questions uh, uh, covering different categories like product information ease of use of the app the data security aspects, the interoperability, and then a category called Health and Safe, where you look into the health benefits uh, the app proposes, the societal benefits, and the ethics. And it are 82 questions that uh, the app developers can fill in themselves. It's 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 a self-assessment scheme. And that then, in the end, results in uh, a quality label or a health app quality label, like we tend to call it. And you can compare it, the look and feel of that quality label with um, what you find on the uh, the, the household appliances, uh, the energy consumption label mm, with with red, uh, green, uh, and orange coding. Um, So that's the result of this this assessment scheme, these 82 questions, and we're now working on on, uh, the accompanying certification framework to to then assess and do conformity checks of the label and the certification, because the self-assessment is one thing, but then there needs to be some checking on that. And uh, the whole set, of b- it is covered in the in, in the CEN ISO because the International Standards Organization also joined this initiative, so it will be European international standard in in CEN ISO. Uh, and then you have a complicated number of package. Uh, you can sh- put the link in the show notes also, because also mm-hmm. it's always a will number <laughs> that uh, that uh, it's under it's the draft uh, specifications are out now for common. For member states, and uh, we hope that it will be adopted by the member states by the b- before summer. But then the challenge, of course, is to to implement it and to to make it widespread and adopted. Because having a standard in the drawer that is not used that doesn't serve uh, anybody. So that's one of the tools that we are offering in view of this harmonisation of, of the national approaches and and where we work towards mutual recognition between countries on on quality of apps and and also get a better view on the apps that don't qualify as medical device because if they are a medical device then it's clear they have to follow the medical device directive but there are so many other apps for our mental well-being to encourage us to be active too that are also very important in managing our health and uh, some studies indicate that 70% uh, actually, between 70 and 80% of the apps that, that people use are, don't qualify as medical device. So we have uh, quite a bunch of apps that, that we categorize in the health and well-being sphere that are very helpful in, in keeping us healthy, but that don't necessarily qualify as a medical device. So this standard is, is, is there in order to... To not regulate, but to, to give a quality labeling on, on this big set of uh, health and well-being apps.
2: And um, speaking of standard setting, another big topic right now that will likely require some standardization are the digital green certificates, which for non-EU listeners is what the EU calls the COVID-19 vaccine passports. Um, And the European Commission launched this initiative in March to facilitate safe and free movement inside the EU um, during the pandemic. And I'm wondering if you can explain to our listeners how this will work in practice and what are some of the main obstacles to achieving this goal and what role mHealth apps will play in the process?
3: Yeah indeed so the digital green certificate is is uh, a big uh, endeavor that uh, that was indeed proposed by the commission uh, in march with the promise to make it operational before summer season starts so it's 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 very fast in especially in commission <laughs> terms <laughs> <laughs> to uh, from an id towards deployment in three months it's never <laughs> been done i think <laughs> so what is this digital green certificate it's 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 a means to allow free and safe movement within the the european union during the pandemic so it we proposed it because we saw different initiatives popping up in different member states on introducing this vaccine passports as you said and and we saw fragmentation and and non-compatible approaches popping up within different countries and of course that's not for, for the citizen, that, that, that's not very helpful to, to have, uh, to comply if you travel to, to different uh, approaches. And so it's actually a digital proof that you will receive, you said a uh, vaccination passport, but there are three situations where you can, g- g- can receive the digital green certificate. Either you are fully vaccinated or you have a recent negative test result that that, that proves that you're you're you're, you're COVID free or you have the proof that you recovered from a COVID 19 um, disease so and that's you have these three cases that uh, result in a digital green certificate that is given to you by your national or regional authority. So how does it work from the citizen perspective? So uh, before I I start traveling around in Europe, I I request uh, my digital green certificate that is issued by my national or regional authority um, and that shows a digitally signed barcode so a QR code actually that in- includes the the minimum data required that's agreed between all the, the member states and you receive either a paper version or you can receive it in digital format of course that you then can store in your your wallet app if you want and and when you travel you show this digital green certificate uh, together with your ID Uh, to a verifier, for example, before boarding on a plane or before getting into the car or at the border control. And uh, there the verification will happen through verification software that will scan this QR code and then uh, consult an European gateway server where the public keys are stored that are used to check the validity and the authenticity of your certificate. And this uh, European gateway uh, will gather all public keys of the cryptographic process used during the issuing of the certificates, so it doesn't keep any personal data, Um, the certificates themselves are, are on your paper and are stored in are are generated by the by the member states and also this verification software doesn't store any personal data so um, it's, it's very privacy friendly, but it will hopefully allow us to travel within Europe and to benefit because that's actually the purpose of the of the, of the green certificate is that when you enter uh, an, an another country that you can be um, uh, exempted from covid 19 measures that are stored there locally so that for example you don't have to enter into quarantine for 10 days before starting your actually holiday so that's actually the, the real purpose of of the certificate and yes you you heard me already mentioning several times uh software apps so there are apps involved in this verification process so you have the wallet apps uh, on, on the user side, then you have the verification app on the verification agent side, and then in some countries there will also be apps developed for the, the, the issuing of these certificates. And uh, But that's all managed on, on a national level. The European component is this central European server that keeps the keys for the verification and validity and authenticity of the of the green certificate
1: thank you very much uh very good for all this information and would like to remind uh um, our members listening that uh, they can always reach out to us uh, if they want more questions uh, um, for our website so thank you very much for this insightful discussion and for giving such a good overview of everything that's happening uh in terms of digital health and uh, m health uh Uh, at EU level at the moment, so digital health is certainly an issue that we're focusing on right now. There's so much innovation in in this field and uh, apps' um, importance in health will only continue to increase. And with the growing number of our members specializing in this field, we're witnessing this evolution firsthand. So we look forward to looking um, together with the European Commission to build an environment in Europe where small businesses can continue to create and uh, really implement their innovative health solutions. Um, and this really to the benefit of patients and citizens all across Europe. So. For more information on what's going on uh, in the EU uh, and, our mem- and what our members are doing in the M- health space, you can always check out the show notes where we'll post everything um, that we talked about in this episode. And thank you again, Bagut. Thank you very
3: much for having me. And uh, I would call upon the community uh, to work together to make our digital age a healthier place.
1: Definitely. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.
3: <laughs>
0: and now it's time for random identifiers morgan you are up first what do you have for us
1: (laughs) well mine is going to be extremely simple um this weekend actually last weekend on the 8th was the first time that um the terraces uh, opened in in, uh, in Brussels, meaning that uh, restaurants opened up again after...
0: Oh, wow. What, since wow.
1: October. So, and, and the worst part is that I didn't even get to go uh, and eat out. I just... Oh, oh. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to look forward to that this weekend. So it was um, just to know that uh, this is happening. And when you walk around Brussels, you can see suddenly like the city living again. So that's... Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's nice. Nice to see. It's a it's a, a bit of fresh air.
0: Yeah, it's a nice feeling.
1: Wow, yeah. that's
2: crazy. Like stuff has been open here for so long. I know. <laughs> really?
1: Oh, lucky you. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I know, well. I feel bad.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Anna, what about you? What do you have for us?
2: Um, today mine is a TV show that. I have loved and has made the stage of the pandemic more bearable. (laughs) Um, It's called Kim's Convenience and it's a sitcom centering around um, a Korean Canadian family. They run a convenience store in Toronto. And it's basically kind of about how the family deals with customers, each other, the world around them. Um, It's very funny at the right moments. It's touching at other moments. It's super easy to watch. um, And I, yeah, I loved it. I highly recommend it. There are four seasons on Netflix. Can't wait for the fifth season to come out, even though that's the last one and I will be very sad when <laughs> it ends. Um, yeah. But yeah, highly recommend that. Good.
0: I've, yeah, yeah, I've heard really great things about it. Yeah, um, it's, also, it's very good. I've also heard that a lot of people who like really loved Shits Creek will also like this yes. show is very it has the same sort of heart which is why people sort of like both of those shows
2: yes i would 100 percent agree it gives me this like similar energy sometimes (laughs) yeah
0: like you laugh but you also feel touched and like sometimes you want to call your mom
2: yep and i (laughs) love the characters like they're so like the characters are just like so like wholesome and fun and like real like they seem like real people and like i don't know it's just it's a great show all around
0: that's awesome I'm going to add that to my, well, so my random identifier is also sort of about a show slash book, um, Mm -hmm. which I just finished. So now I'm looking for a new show. So I think Kim's Convenience will be my next one.
3: Should
0: (laughs) be. Um, but, so I, um, okay, so my, uh, friend really loved the Shadow and Bone, like, book series, and, like, <laughs> has highly recommended them to me for years, and, of course, I never read them, because I'm a terrible friend, and, um, <laughs> but then I, but then the show came out on Netflix, and it looked great, like, the trailer looked great, so I was like, why not, I'll try it, and then I binged the whole thing in a day, um, Wow, oh, wow. like a, like a total psycho, yeah, just, like, a Saturday hunkered down and watched, like, eight hours of television, and, um. <laughs> and it was great. I loved the show. And um, so then I went and read the books. And what's interesting is that they added characters from like a second book series, not the initial like trilogy um, to the show. And those characters were like particularly like interesting and exciting. And so then I started reading the... So first I read... Uh, this has happened very quickly in fact (laughs) like in the span of like (laughs) three weeks I've read I watched the show I read the first three books that the show was based on then now I am in the process of reading the other set of books that sort of they brought characters in from and it's so great Uh, it's called Six of Crows is the first book and um, it was just really and again If my friend is listening to this, she literally told me that I would like this book because it's like a it's like a heist. Like the whole the book is like about these like criminals sort of but like criminals with hearts of gold, you know, Um, who basically like come up with this heist to make lots of money. And I love heist movies like, you know, like Ocean's Eleven or like The Italian Job or like all of those movies I love. Snatch, like love that movie. Um, And so she was like, basically, this is like a book form of the movies that you love and she was right and it's so great i um usually i blow through books just because like i tend to be a fast reader but this is one that i've like taken a lot of time to like savor each chapter you know what i mean like it's it was it just like really struck me so i guess what i'm saying is highly recommend shadow and bone it was wildly entertaining um on netflix and then also um the six of crows book series is a delightful read and I recommend I feel like
2: it. that's when you know a book is like really good when you don't want to get to the end
0: yeah exactly and it's just like <laughs> you don't you know not there there are like lots of books that are like certainly about like the criminal underworld or something but like rarely are they like about a heist like you know mm-hmm. like I don't know it's just it they it's a fun read 10 out of 10 recommend All
3: right. adding <laughs> that to that my fight. list same here um
0: yeah you should Good, good choice, guys. <laughs> and we've reached the end of Greetings from Brussels, episode 12 of our Global Tech Swamp podcast. If you're interested in learning more, visit our website at actonline.org slash techswamp. You'll find all of our episodes and show notes and include include links to articles, blogs, and all the good stuff.
1: You can also subscribe to Tech Swamp on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher to get the latest episodes first. And don't forget to rate and review. And to follow what
2: we are doing on a daily basis, follow us on Twitter at EUAppMakers.
0: Thanks for listening. Bye for now. (laughs) Bye-bye.
2: Bye.